In recent weeks, we've been looking at sort of church planting. Now, this is not new territory for us as a church over uh, the past 17, 16, 17 years. It's been a very critical part of our uh, church identity. And we, we give God thanks that we have, though in ourselves weak, not particularly strong um, in, our, in ourselves, either when it comes to human or financial resources, we have nonetheless committed to uh, planting churches where God opens doors. And when, um, brother, don't be discouraged about uh, changes to plants. When, when there's a season where, uh, you know, it's, it's best to stay put in one place and consolidate a bit uh, to invest in leadership training. You know, that's a, a core part of who we are and what we do. And it's right that at this season we particularly contemplate uh, church planting, not least because we are seeing a church planted out of our own congregation in Enfield Lock. And we give God praise for good reports each Sunday. It's just the third Sunday. It's early days. Have there been difficulties? Absolutely. Already within the first, you know, two weeks, um, have have there been disappointments, distractions? Yes, that's part of it. But we are committed to seeing a church planted, and by and large, it, it's really a good thing that, for example, they've had issues booking a venue. The contract we were told was going to be drawn up. We were told that this week they'd be able to be in their own place. But, you know, we teach that a church is not dependent on a building and that you can be a church and meet in any number of places. Uh, it's not dependent upon that. So it's right that they have that experience. It's right. It's good that they, they endure that for a season because things are otherwise going all in all pretty well for them. And I would rather their difficulty be they are struggling to book a venue then uh, they are, you know, falling to pieces with strife, division, you know, nasty attitudes or gross sin. Um, we'll, we'll take venue problems over those things any day. Well, we're going to um, continue thinking about that tonight. We've, we've talked about what are we planting. And I hope that you remember that we are planting a gospel church, a visible church, and we are hoping to plant and dare not presume, but we are seeking to plant a healthy church. That is, a church that is faithful to Christ Jesus, exercising the gifts, rights, privileges, invested in them by the Word of God and the power of the Holy Spirit. Last week, we were asking the question, why are we planting? And we, we talked about how church planting flows from Great Commission principles how it is God's will to gather His people through the preaching of the gospel. We, we also saw that church planting follows apostolic practice. It's God's will to gather and grow His people through those whom He's called and sent with the gospel message. And we'll kind of be returning to that this evening. We also saw that church planting fits biblical pictures. Jesus talks about a sower going out to sow, that is to plant as the gospel is sown in the field that is the world, uh, there are plants that arise, and uh, not just in, not individualistically, not a plant, but there are plants, and they multiply, and they bear fruit. Uh, the Apostle Paul says that you are God's field, 
God's building. And Paul did not hesitate to say, uh, I planted, Apollos watered, and God gave the increase. So it's consistent with biblical pictures. Uh, but most encouragingly, we saw that church planting fulfills Christ's promises. Jesus, our Lord and Savior, promised to gather the people of God. That's what he was saying when he said, I, I am the good shepherd. Because in the book of Ezekiel, the prophet had said that God is the good shepherd. And he gathers those who are lame. He gathers those who are sick. He gathers those who are astray, who are far, who are in various ways afflicted. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Jesus also promised you will be my witnesses. And sometimes we, we look at that and we see that that's a command. No, the command is go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all I've commanded. That's the command. The promise is you will. You will be my witnesses. And he promised people who were at that point still a bit sectarian, a bit... We might say nationalist. Even after that, he said, uh, you know, some of them asked, are you now going to restore the kingdom to Israel? So Jesus' promise is, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. And I'm with you always. So church planting fulfills Christ's promises. That's, that's just a bit of a recap. I hope that's helpful bringing us up to speed. But tonight we're going to be asking the question, who plants churches? We, we've talked about what we're planting. We've talked about uh, why we're planting, but who plants? And uh, let's, I, I want us to commit that to the Lord before we dive in. Let's, let's pray. Father, thank You for the privilege of once again opening Your Word and walking through this season of our church's life as we are seeking to plant a, um, a gospel, visible, healthy church in Enfield Lock, we pray that you would equip us, encourage us, and empower us. We pray that this um, uh, gospel uh, zeal and vision would not be um, unmet, but that it would see fruit. We thank you that already there are those who are trusting in Christ and are committing to follow him. So we, we ask, Lord, that you would see that work built and strengthened. We thank you for all who are participating in it. We pray that you would encourage them, strengthen them, and build them up. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you could locate Acts chapter 13, Acts 13, and as we think about who plants, I want us to first of all see that gospel churches plant churches. See, it's, it's very easy for when we're thinking about church planting to have in mind uh, an organization, a parachurch organization or network, not disrespecting the good and valuable work that such entities may do. But fundamentally, at their best, they exist to support and help churches do what they need to do. The biblical pattern is that gospel churches plant churches. 
Sometimes we can also think about a dynamic individual, and we will see that there are individuals that God uses in the planting of churches. But I, I really think in the past 20, 30 years, as church planting has become a trendy conversation to have, there, there is actually this, this idea of the church planter. And the church planter tends to be, in some people's mind at least, it's not accurate across the board, but a fairly hip, trendy, young individual, probably millennial, um, who's able to connect with that generation. And norm normally very slick guy, he's very savvy, very strategic, and um, knows, knows how to say exactly the right things, knows how to gather a crowd, uh, knows how to, to work social media, knows how to do all of these, these fascinating things. And yet that is not, that's not really what we see in the New Testament. We see people, the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, in weakness and fear and trembling, determining to make known to them nothing except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And in a context, in a culture where the crucifixion of Jesus Christ was a scandal because it does not communicate power, but they look for power. It does not communicate wisdom, but they're looking for wisdom. It looks weak and foolish to talk about a naked man hanging and bleeding his life out, suffocating on his own airways to death. That's not, that's not power or wisdom, is it? Something clearly went wrong there. In fact, that's, that's someone at their weakest and most vulnerable and most foolish because couldn't it have been avoided that's, that's generally what people are, are, are thinking um, in Paul's context, in his cultural context. But when we approach conversations about church planting, we can fall into the same worldly traps. Do we have enough people? Do we have enough money? Do we have um, a, a flashy venue that's really you know, all, all agreed and ironed out? Some people will remember uh, me telling them about a, um, I'll hesitate to call it a church, and that's, that's not me being cynical. Um, they, they were, uh, I believe, a, a cult, prosperity gospel cult uh, operating in South, I think it was South London. And uh, they, uh, they had some major tax problems and got closed and all of that. But I remember the, the video promotional that they did on YouTube, which said absolutely nothing about Jesus. Nothing. Instead, what was featured was, frankly, wouldn't have been out of place, um, uh, you know, in a cinema trailer. Um, the, there's a sports car that rolls up to the five-star hotel, and you see the, um, the, the guy get out with the sort of alligator shoes and the, you know, sockless sort of thing, and you have people slow-mo walking down the hallways and very, um, a bit over the top, actually, suits and furs, honestly. Um, I, I don't think that's what, <laughs> aesthetically, that's not even appealing to me, but let's, let's just work with it for a moment. What it's conveying is a subliminal message of wealth, of success, 
of power, of, um, uh, of access to power. And of, you know, there were people who would go for networking opportunities. There were people who would go because they could find a job. They're not going for Jesus. You see the problem with that. But we can fall into the same attitudes. When, when we have conversations um, that are uh, not faithful, in the sense of filled with faith, but rather are examining, you know, do, do we have that visionary, dynamic individual to take this forward? Do we have a, a great venue? Do we have, um, a, you know, a, tens of thousands of pounds to set aside for this? And being absolutely honest, we, we do not. This is not uh, that kind of, of church planting. Uh, I, I, you know, I praise God for those who plant churches with great resources. That's wonderful. But if we were sat around waiting for that kind of resource, we would always be waiting. And I do believe that that is one of the reasons that um, uh, we have seen across this nation the decline of local church gospel witness. Uh, churches stagnate. And instead of stepping out, trusting that God will provide, we stagnate. We're not really even waiting on Him to provide something so that we'll obey. We receive and we keep and we just sit there. Who plants churches? Healthy churches plant churches. So uh, here's, here's a quote from uh, Tim Keller who recently passed away that I, I found quite helpful. He says, church planting should not be like building a building. One big traumatic event followed by a deep collective sigh of relief that it's done. Paul was continually engaged in evangelism, discipleship, and church planting. Church planting should be as much an ongoing, natural part of your ministry as worship, evangelism, fellowship, education, and service. So it's who we are. It's what we do because we're a church. And as a church, we're going to plant churches. That's what happens in Acts chapter 13, effectively. There were, verse 1 says, in the church at Antioch, prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. They could have resisted that. Barnabas and Saul are, are two of uh, this leadership team, and they're, they're almost having the team by setting them apart and sending them out. They're very gifted. They're very, they're, you know, there's no question that they're called. There's no question that they're qualified. There's no question that they're capable. But the Holy Spirit says to those who are, are worshiping God and fasting and seeking His voice, set them apart for me. So when God opens doors, what do we do with those doors? I'm not even talking about opportunities. Opportunities exist wherever you go. There's opportunities everywhere. Every one potentially represents an opportunity. Not everyone represents an open door. Every community represents an opportunity because in every community there are thousands in this city, tens of thousands of people who do not know the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's an opportunity. But is it necessarily an open door? No. 
But it's an open door when the Holy Spirit says, there's a world that's completely unreached with the Gospel. Here's two men on your team of five. Set them apart. Send them out so that those who have not heard will hear. Those, those who have not been reached will be reached. And so, uh, how do they respond? They fast, they pray, they lay hands on them, and they send them off. And, and what, what do we see next uh, as it continues to unfold? Well, that's the second thing that I want you to see. That is that gospel workers plant churches. You see, the church, if we're being technical, the church is you know, the gathering of believers, and we're not all going up to Enfield Lock and all of us working particularly hard at the, um, the same level and intensity as those we've, we've sent out, right? And even of those we've sent out, how many did we set apart? Was it eight a couple of weeks ago? Eight people that we set apart and sent out to, uh, to plant in that, um, in that community. Of those, not all of them will have the same ministry capacity. Do we understand that? That there will be some who you know, are completely set apart for that. So we have Zeth and Hannah, for example. Zeth, we just recently recognized as church evangelist, and we did so knowing that his own church had previously had set, had set him apart as such and sent him out. And so he's completely supported to do that type of ministry full-time, which is a great blessing. We're not, in, we're not dependent upon that, but that has helped us move forward at a quicker rate. We appreciate that. Gospel workers plant churches. And that's what happens with Paul. Paul and um, Barnabas, they're sent out. And what do they do? They proclaim the Word of God. Verse 5 of that same chapter, they proclaimed the Word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. And they had John to assist them. They've gone, uh, they're on Cyprus, and they went through the whole island. They're preaching, they're teaching. And what, what's happening as we see the chapters unfold is they proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. People repent of sin and believe in Jesus. They are baptized as followers of Christ. And they are gathered in local places for fellowship as believers to walk together in community as Christ followers. In other words, they become local churches. And as Acts unfolds and as the New Testament unfolds, there are structures that are established. There's systems that are put in place. All of that is important. There's leadership. There's, we were talking about it just this morning from Titus. There's leadership, there's membership, there's stewardship. Those are very important components to local church life. And all of that is under the oversight of a few people who are set apart and who are sent out. Gospel churches plant churches, and they do so through gospel workers. We can't all go to Enfield Lock. But we can identify an area that is um, facing a, basically a drought of, of gospel access. Options are extremely limited. Multiple members of our own congregation who are commuting from there telling us there's a need here. We go up, we explore it, we talk with other churches in infield, across denominations, and they said there's a need there. So we 
we seek to plant a church. And we do so as a church that has sent out gospel workers. Get to Acts 18, and we see where we were last week uh, in uh, the first letter to the Corinthians. Paul is in Corinth. Now, there have been... uh, uh, They've returned to their church already, Paul and Barnabas. So he's actually now on a different trip. But Paul and Barnabas returned at the end of chapter 14. They gathered the church in Antioch. They reported to them all that had happened. And a door for faith had opened to the Gentiles. And they stay in Antioch for a while. Then they're sent to Jerusalem for a conference where they hash out various things about, well, the Gentiles are believing in Jesus now. What does that mean for their, their life? Because we're Jews and we don't really understand the Gentile way of life, but that doesn't mean they can't access the grace of God. And so they work through all of that and they rejoice that God's grace is known, felt, enjoyed by the Gentiles, non-Jewish people. Once again, the process repeats itself where Paul is sent out again. This time he's with, Ty, uh, with a, a guy named Silas. They get to Corinth. It's, Paul has left Athens. He goes to Corinth. He's actually on his own. So he, he has to find Jewish background believers. Well, at least one of them. It's up in the air as to whether both of them had that, that background. But Aquila and Priscilla... They had been commanded to leave Rome by the emperor at that time. He goes to see them. He begins to work with them. They begin to study the scriptures. We see that Silas and Timothy arrive and they find Paul occupied, verse 5 of chapter 18, occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. Now Paul is following his pattern of going to the people um, that were like him, Jewish people, of his background, his pattern was to start there, and then inevitably it seems that he generally got kicked out of the synagogue, so he goes into houses and halls, and they continue to meet and to gather. That's what happened here. Things got very nasty, so he shook out, out his garments. He said, your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. So what does he do? He goes to the house next door. And when he goes to the house next door and they continue to meet and continue to gather, the ruler of the synagogue follows him because the ruler of the synagogue has trusted in Christ. It's fascinating and and, and very encouraging to see how God works. Now, Paul could have given up. He's in a terrible city. This place was... just rampant ungodliness, especially for a man not particularly comfortable in Gentile spaces. While he is there, he has a dream, and the Lord tells him to stay put. There are people already that are coming to faith in Christ. A church is being established, but he's unsettled. One night in Corinth, he has a vision, and the Lord says to him, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people." He says, you are speaking the truth. Go on speaking it. Uh, You may feel that you are alone. I can assure you, you are not. You may think that God's people are few. They're actually many. And that strengthens him to endure. That helps him. 
And gospel workers need that encouragement. They need to be continually invigorated and refreshed by the news of Jesus Christ with them as they are planting churches. Gospel churches plant churches, and one of the ways we can help gospel workers that we've sent out, set apart and sent out to plant, is by again and again encouraging them and pointing them to Jesus Christ. There are multiple ways that you can do that. And here's the thing, we all fall short, I know, at the best when it comes to um, our relationships and just interpersonal connections, and communications can sometimes be poor. But we have a wealth of resource available to us that they didn't have. Antioch couldn't send a text. They couldn't shoot over an email. And I, sometimes the worst thing that you can do is to ask for a report. Sorry, guys. I know I've asked you guys for reports before, but I understand. That's why I'm not always chasing you or anything like that because I've been that guy who's been asked. And I would rather you be serving the Lord and doing what you're doing than spending however long condensing all of the events of a period of time into one piece of A4 that lands all the points, communicates all the praises, all the stresses, all the prayer points. It, it, it's quite a draining task in a strange way. What we need to know is that you're well, that things are okay. Sometimes a phone call actually is a lot easier than you sitting down writing. We can have a conversation. We have, things, we have things at our disposal. A text. Don't ask them too many questions. Encourage them with the Scriptures. Tell them that you're thinking about them and praying for them. Here's the thing. They experience exactly what Paul experienced. I know that across the board. They wonder, why, am I speaking the right things? Because it's not landing. They need someone to encourage them. If you're being faithful to the Word of God, you're speaking the truth. Keep on. Press on. They, they need someone to um, in, encourage them that they're not alone. That Jesus is with them in all times and in all places. And they need to also know that you're behind them. That you're thinking about them and supporting them. They need to know that there are people out there. Tell them testimonies of people here that are are coming to faith, or things that you've enjoyed, conversations you've enjoyed with others about the gospel, they need to hear that. In the same way, we do need to hear their testimonies from time to time. So when the reports come, we give, we give praise. Um, but we have a wealth of practical resource that helps us as churches support workers so that together we can effectively plant churches in, um, in a way that I trust has everyone getting the support that they need. And we're all on the same team. And we're all communicating. And we're all getting somewhere with this. I hope that makes sense. Um, it, it, it's a very important question sometimes that, that gospel churches and gospel workers together have to ask. Is this the right thing for us to do? Is this the right time? The temptation would have been when Adrian came to me a few years ago, several years ago now. Wow, it's three years ago almost that we sent you out. So the first time we had that conversation would have been more like five or six years ago. And then we resumed the conversation and then we sent you out. 
if each of those times, but particularly the last time, you had come to me, and I had said, uh, Adrian, I appreciate your heart for, for the Netherlands and all of that. And I, I mean, I understand. I get it. But we, we need gospel churches here. And we, we need, uh, you know, I, I, we need elder support in Grace Baptist Church Woodgreen. Meanwhile, there's churches that don't even exist to appoint elders. And there's churches that do exist, but they, they, they don't have the elder support that they need. And the rate of growth has outdistanced their capacity. And, you know, it's very easy to selfishly cling to people who are suitably capable and spiritually qualified, we, we really need to have, and I think God has worked it in our church, a paradigm shift where every gifted person who walks through the door, we're not immediately thinking, how can we keep this person? But rather, we're seeking the Holy Spirit. Do you want us to keep this person or do you want us to send this person out? It's very, very important that we humble ourselves before the Lord and not set the agenda. He's already setting that through the Word and, and the opportunities He's opening for us. So uh, Graham Bainan, who's written a helpful little book called Planting for the Gospel that just explores some of the um, various approaches that have been used in this country, uh, he says the key question for any church to consider is simply this. How can we best grow both in quality of discipleship and spread of the gospel. The answer might mean staying as one church. It might mean planting another. It might mean planting many. And I believe, I think I can bear witness for all of the people that we have sent out over the years for the different churches that we have planted. We have seen the gospel spread multiple places. Um, if we're looking at church plants and church revitalizations, churches that would have otherwise died, across England, Scotland, and a few places in Europe, today there would have been around 1,500 or so people gathered. We don't often pause to think of that. But it started with the prayers. Some of you know the two sisters there, you, you, you were here. started in the back, back hall. And you might remember going into the back hall and there were pieces of paper on the wall with various sins that we needed to confess. Do you remember that? And we were supposed to like take the piece of paper off and like, that applied to us. And you know, there were some of us, like there were, there were certain sins that we avoided. We're like, you know, there's people watching and I'm not going to take that off the wall in front of everyone else. I remember afterwards, my dad did that for everyone. He said, oh, so I don't suppose anyone here is struggling with lust? <laughs> took it off the wall and you know so it, it, it was very memorable evening we were fasting we were praying and then what we started planting and and it's kept going that was 2006 or 7 and we've had many opportunities since then not in our strength but as we listen to the holy spirit communicating through his word following apostolic practice we commit ourselves to proclaiming the gospel where doors open Sending out people, setting apart as local church, sending out gospel workers to plant churches. So that's what happens in Galatia. I'm sorry, Galatians. Where'd that come from? Lots of church planting there as well. Um, Acts 13. Um, 
Gospel churches plant churches. They do so by setting apart and sending out. Gospel workers plant churches. They do so by staying put when, when the Lord tells them, stay put and keep preaching the gospel and keep making disciples and uh, trust me that I'm with you. Gospel believers plant churches. We, we do see that in Acts 18 because it's not just Paul. Paul was sent out and for the moment he's on his own. He's with Silas and Timothy, but then they get separated, so he's on his own. But he seeks people out. He seeks out Aquila and Priscilla. And as you read the New Testament letters, you find that this couple appears multiple times, normally actually reversed in the way they're ordered, Priscilla and Aquila. And all, uh, the, the, Their story as a couple is fascinating. And I actually um, once preached a wedding sermon all about just them. There's a lot that we can um, surmise from studying just their names and their historical context and pattern of movements over the years. Really neat stuff. A Christian couple. And the Apostle Paul found them, began working with them, and uh, like literal working, not just gospel work, which is serious work, don't get me wrong, but they're making um, leather goods, tents and things like that. A trade. And then they're also going out and proclaiming Christ. And it's not just the three of them, but we, we come across this man named Titius Justice. He's identified as a worshiper of God. He opens his house. That's hospitality and it's generosity. And we don't know his situation or circumstance, but he opens his house to a group of people who have just had to leave in less than fortunate circumstances their usual place of worship because Jesus was rejected there. So he opens his house. He's right next door to that place. Things could have gotten very tense. But it wasn't a problem. He opens the house. They start worshiping there. The river of the synagogue comes along. And his entire household. And many of the Corinthians hearing Paul believed and were baptized. Verse 8. So as we, as, as we look through the book of Acts, we see people who are believing, being baptized, gathering. And as they're gathered, they're committed to each other. And they're committed to Jesus Christ. They're committed to walking in community as Christ followers. And we have these letters that fill the New Testament that are written to the church at or to the churches of a particular city or region. And the Word of God continued to go out. And churches continued to be planted. And you know, we, we, we leave Asia and we get into Europe and it just keeps going out. And it's, it had already gone to Africa very early on, even before this point. So the Gospel is spreading. It's the power of God. But God is pleased in His sovereignty to work through churches and to work through workers. People set apart and sent out. And those who believe. Because the church at Corinth is established as it grows. As people commit to meeting together. So it's not just a, a, a one-sided thing. And this is where uh, you know, our, our brother was talking about his context and the pastor there and things like that. Burnout and stuff. This is very common. It's exceptionally common. 
in church planting. There are very disturbing uh, statistics related to mental health and um, hor- horrible things we d- would rather not even speak of, but suicide even um, uh, when it comes to people who are involved in church planting, especially those who are leading. And I cannot help but wonder if, if that might not have something to do where we've stopped with gospel churches and gospel workers planting churches. And, and at some point we stop there and it's like, who, who is coming alongside as they gather? Are people gathering to consume or are they gathering to, to create something, to contribute something, to corporately, congregationally offer the sacrifices of praise so that it's not all on one person. But that is our cultural moment. It sees one person as this is the visionary, this is the leader. This is... We are God's fellow workers. That's great. That sounds very um, cooperative. And yet at the end of it, you are God's field. Not Paul's field. You are God's building, not Apollos' building. We cannot get to a place where we say, look what my hands have made. Do you remember the, the poem, um, Ozymandias? Do you remember that? This, this um, monument is found in the Middle East, Near East, somewhere in the desert, crumbling. And it has an inscription, and the poet tells of the inscription, apparently this monument that's found crumbling was to a great king. My name is Ozymandias. See my works, ye mighty, and despair. And it's just, you know, well, statue in the desert crumbling. Not really much that's lasted. There's not really much that's endured here. What are our works? What is our salvation? That we uh, are we saving people, or is it God? And so we we have to affirm that it is God who plants churches, and it is He who, as as He does so, does so through churches, through gospel workers, through believers who gather, and because it's God who plants churches, we can. Not rest in the sense of be lazy, but we can rest in the confidence, again, that he keeps his promises. He will build his church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And um, what he has begun, the good work that he has begun, he will bring to completion. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity to... Pastor the church through uh, this delightful season of church planting. We thank you for the good reports that we continue to receive from Enfield Lock. There's a, a real measure at which we can fear, we can be overwhelmed by this. It seems such a daunting task. And yes, there are struggles, and yes, there are fears and anxieties, and sending out quite a few of our congregation very involved people in our congregation at that. We miss them. But we know that your hand is in this. We've set them apart and we've sent them out. So Lord, help us to to rest in the work that you are doing. Yes, in and through us, in and through them, in and through those who are gathered. 
and we pray, Lord, that we would see, we would see a harvest. Give us that encouragement, that blessing. May we see fruit, um, and may, may that be to your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.